When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating what is best for the world, Islam or atheism, and we are starting right now. With Randolph Richardson's opening statement, Randolph Richardson is the president of the Canadian Atheists, which advocates for freedom, atheism, and atheists. Thanks for being with us, Randolph. The floor is all yours. Thank you, James. Um, I've got an opening statement written up for this topic, which is, uh, uh, as our audience already knows, uh, we are debating whether the uh, atheism or Islam is better for the world. Uh, I'm on the side of uh, advocating for atheism being better. So I'll start with my statement. Because we think independently, because we are of our own minds, and because each of us is intrinsically unique, it's unnatural to become who or what others envision, including those in the distant past, real or imagined with whom we've had no direct interactions. From the ongoing expansions of our own life experiences, we can build a wonderful foundation of greater living through love, compassion, creativity, non-conformity, and personal interactions, particularly when this is freely and genuinely of our own making. Choosing our own paths is the overall theme, and atheism, which never interferes with the free nature of consciousness enhanced by memory, is logically natural. And if a fundamental purpose were to be ascribed to life, perhaps making your own path might be the best option since consciousness is so deeply and interactively entwined, intertwined. Equally embrace comfort and fear, draw from doubt as a helpful ally and strive to embark in the practice of freely thinking for yourself so that you may enjoy a higher quality of existence that naturally awaits as you bask on the horizon of a whirlwind of personal sovereignty. For your own self-mastery is always there for the taking, along with a love for life and diversity in all its cosmic splendor. While Islam imposes restrictions on our freedoms that are contrary to human nature, or at least it seeks to do this, atheism is compatible with all of my aforementioned points. Thank you, James, and thank you to the Muslim apologist for uh, challenging me on this topic. My pleasure, and thanks for that opening. And I want to say, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral channel hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you were from. And have to let you know, folks, we have many more juicy debates coming up. You don't want to miss them. So, for example, at the bottom right of your screen, that's just one example of one coming up next week. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button as we have many more to come. And with that, I'm going to introduce MENJ, a.k.a. the Muslim Apologist. Thrilled to have you here as well. And 
M-E-N-J, a.k.a. The Muslim Apologist, is a Malaysian. He runs The Muslim Apologist, a YouTube channel that M-E-N-J had started in February 2020. It was established to counter the growing polemical lies and misinformation made against Islam on YouTube. That is, by the way, a quote from him. As, like I said, Modern Day Debate is a fully neutral channel. And so, with that, thank you, M-E-N-J, for being with us. The floor is all yours. Thank you, James, and uh, thank you, Randolph, for being here as well, right? So um, I, I've also written an opening statement. So as the nature of opening statements are, um, I simply present my position without rebutting the other side, right? So um, I've prepared uh, several points, okay? So um, I'll try to make it brief as, as and as short as possible for this. So um, Islam has a lot of principles that uh, proves uh, that which uh, proves that Islam contributes to the betterment of mankind. So um, I've just reduced it to just five major ones. So uh, the first principle that I would like to touch on is the principle of family. So Islam stresses on the role of the man and woman in a family, and um, it has a, a proper order on concerning marriage and divorce. And um, Islam stresses that uh, the family is a very important unit in a society. Okay, which goes on, which goes to the second point, the second principle, which is the principle of social and political order. So Islam has uh, contributed a social and political order to world, to the world. So uh, we have the Khilafah, we have the Khilafah system, the, a political system which uh, encompasses uh, the whole of uh, the Ummah, the Muslim community. And um, Islam also stresses on consensus in community or what we refer to as ijma in, uh, in Arabic. Okay? Basically, this consensus is to fulfill the divine will, uh, meaning uh, the divine will of uh, concerning vision, social cohesiveness, and to put that into action. All right? So um, in relation to this, there is the third principle, which is the principle of economic order. So Islam has contributed to the economic order of mankind as well. And I would like to um, take the opportunity to quote uh, the Pakistani philosopher, Muhammad Iqbal. Uh, Dr. Muhammad Iqbal has said, the economic action is the expression of Islam's spirituality. So from this, we can derive that Islam does stress on the importance of economy as uh, being part of, uh, you know, a of being beneficial to men. So we have Islamic finance, we have profit sharing al-mudarabah in Arabic, and we, of course, we have the systems of zakah, which is um, the tif, and sadaqah, charity. So these are all uh, things which uh, Islam promotes in order to benefit, uh, to, be, to bring to a betterment of mankind. And we go on to the fourth principle, which is the principle of world order. So in the terms of world order, Islam recognizes uh, the concept of universal brotherhood, meaning every Muslim is a brother, is brethren to one another. So whatever happens in one part of the Muslim world, we, in another part of the Muslim world, feel it, and we will take action upon it. And um, this is expressed uh, historically via the Madina Charter, where the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, peace and blessings be upon him, he conducted an agreement between the Muslim community in Medina, the city of Medina, with the, the Jews who were living in the city at the time. And this is enshrined in the charter itself. 
which I could get into later on uh, during the course of this debate, all right? And um, the goal of all this is to achieve Pax Islamica, basically a new world order based on an order of peace uh, under Islamic law, right? So um, there are many things which I can elaborate here. So again, I will leave this for the, uh, you know, for the uh, due course, in due course uh, of the debate. And um, finally, we have, the fifth principle, which is the principle of aesthetics or Islamic art. So Islam has contributed a lot to art and uh, and uh, beauty. Okay, so this is expressed in the Arabic of the Quran, for example. And we have visual arts. We have arabesque, ge geometry, architecture, etc., which are all due to Islamic influence and uh, culture. As well as we have calligraphy, Arabic calligraphy is also due to Islam. And yes, and with that, I close my opening statement. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you, Randolph, for being here. Thank you, James, for hosting. Right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And we're going to jump into open conversation. <laughs> I want to say, folks, highly encourage you, if you haven't yet, maybe you have a friend out there who enjoys debates like these. Well, as you can see in the bottom right of your screen, go ahead and click that share button below. You can share this debate with them. And that is one way in which they can hear both sides of this issue. You could say from each side, bringing the best of their arguments to the debate. So highly encourage you to do that as it kind of, you could say, brings a little bit more balance to the world. So with that, we're gonna jump into open conversation. Thanks so much, Randolph. And Amia and Jay, the floor is all yours. Well, um... I'm glad that you laid out those uh, principles. Um, uh, thank you very much. Those are, uh, are those the five pillars of Islam or are these uh, a different set of principles? Uh, no, they are not the five pillars of Islam. Islam okay. These are just basically a summary of uh, what uh, Islam has given to the world. So this is basically something which I, um, I okay. referred to and I've just summarized it. Of course, there are more principles than this. I'm just for the for the purpose of this debate, of course, I just summarize it to just five. Yeah. I do have some questions for you then. Um, like with uh, number one, you talked, the first point, and I'm, I'm going to ask you questions about all five of them. Uh, I do have some partial agreement with some of it, uh, at least. So uh, it's not all, right. <laughs> it's not all positional. But I'm, you talk about the role of the man and the woman in the family unit. And my understanding yes. is that under Islam's uh, Sharia, that uh, at least it, it was like this originally, and I believe it's still like this in certain countries that are run under yeah. Sharia, under the, the Islamic legal system. And uh, please correct me if I'm pronouncing Sharia incorrectly. Um, no, you're, it's correct. It's correct. Okay, thank you. Um, the family, you know, my understanding is that if uh, somebody wants to get a divorce, the uh, uh, if it's the wife, one of the wives, then she has to uh, apply to the courts and get permission to do this. Uh, and, and in many cases, it's interpreted, as I understand, uh, she needs permission from her husband to do that. But the husband doesn't need permission to divorce her. Um, is this, uh, this to me is not um, a fair and just family unit because it's not balanced. It's not. Uh, it's not providing equal opportunity to uh, the spouse. Both spouses based on their sex, and I, and I consider this to be an injustice. Um, Human rights code also would agree with me on this. Um, what What are your thoughts on this? Perhaps you can clarify what you mean by the family um, and the authority well, um, that men and women have yeah. in such a relationship. 
Yeah, sure. Um, actually, you got that part a bit incorrect. Yeah, just uh, hope you're not offended by that. Uh, I'm not offended. Uh, if I'm incorrect, yeah. I want to be corrected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, just I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sir. So I'm going to explain it to you. So uh, basically, uh, what you just described is the process of uh, what we call fasah. So the um, the, so just to uh, explain everything um, from from A to Z, uh, the, Mus- the 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 Muslim man, okay, the husband has the uh, has the power to to pronounce the divorce, which we call talak, and uh, this divorce can be pronounced directly without going to the courts, and um, it's only the legal process that comes after that. Is just you know, that's not uh, that's just that's just does, a recent thing, all right. That's just a recent the, process. Okay. Does the wife so have the same the, authority, or only? Yes, I'm just. Yeah, sorry, I'm just going to that. Okay, so okay. that's basically so that's basically uh, the man the, for the husband. So for the for the woman for the wife, if uh, let's say the husband is is an abusive person, is someone who was in jail several times, not you know, uh, was someone who uh, did not treat the wife well, or for some reason or another, the wife can go to the uh, what to the court or to the uh, or or what we call the Islamic uh, judge, the qadi, and apply for what we call fasah. So she can do that directly without asking for any permission from the husband. Okay, she can just go directly to the to the cordy, and the cordy will uh, hear her case and will decide as to whether this case deserves, you know, uh, a, a hearing or otherwise. Okay, so um, so uh, the the process isn't that straightforward, but um, in the end, the woman, if 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 the cordy determines that the marriage is a failure and that the woman is right, therefore the the divorce will continue without with or without the husband's permission. Yeah. Yeah, but she has to apply to a third party for that, where all he has to do is is choose to divorce, and that's it, based yes, on what you just right. said. So that's not yeah, fair. That's, uh, that's not an equal situation because if if she wants to be out of the situation she has to get a third party's permission for that but he doesn't uh and i consider that well be- um well well the thing is uh in islam we have a different understanding of what is equality yeah? because you see um in islam yeah the man and woman uh are equal okay in terms of rights but they are not the same all right so uh, a man not equal the husband yeah no it's not equal rights as understood by uh in other systems, right? But in the Islamic system, a man has his rights and a woman has her rights. Okay. Yeah. So the process for, for the process of uh, going through uh, each of each party's rights are different from one another. So if a man has this, a woman has that, right? It doesn't mean that a woman uh, is not equal to the uh, to the man, right? So this is how Islam works. So yeah. the men and women are not considered equal, and I understand in the courts that not in the right terms that uh, that is understood by Western uh, by the Western side. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm I'm looking at it from a naturalistic point of view here, just based on logical facts. Um, the man has two avenues of ending the marriage. One is he can declare it on his own independently, or number two, he can seek third parties' uh, judgment on it. No, no, he Where, doesn't need to seek a third party. He doesn't need to. He, he, he doesn't he, in need fact, to. That, no, he doesn't need to. He just, he just pronounce it on his, the, the, so, the third party thing is a legal, it's just a legal process that comes after pronouncing the talaq where, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a modern, in a modern Islamic society, um, we have the courts to process talaq uh, pronunciations after. But in, in traditional Islamic uh, uh, civilizations, uh, I mean, societies prior to this modern uh, conception, uh, we don't have courts to pronounce uh, to to process talak pronunciation. So that is why. So that came much later. Yeah. So I think that um, it's unfair because 
um, the either party should be able to uh, either spouse should be able to uh, end the marriage. Um, well, yeah, um, well the without thing having is, to uh, seek yeah. without having to yes, seek both, permission from a third well, party both, for it. Both sides both sides do have the right to uh, end the marriage. It's just that the process is different, and the woman cannot be given absolute power to do this because the man is still the maintainer of the house. So if a woman is given the right, the same equal in your understanding, that is, if a woman is allowed to pronounce the talaq, yeah, the woman, uh, this is some, this is not a slight upon a woman, right? It's just that you know the nature of a woman is that you know she's emotional. Sometimes she, you know, um, she's under when she's under due stress, a woman is always psychologically more affected than a man. This is this is uh, accepted in science. So if what if the woman suddenly pronounces the talaq without thinking, without being rational about it? So you see, so it will cause chaos. If both sides can do it, then it will be chaos. So there has to be a balance. So this is how Islam maintains the balance in the family unit. Did you know that there are female police officers who don't react emotionally, just like the male counterparts in the same police force, and that they're also serving in military and, and not having these uh, extra emo exhibiting these extra emotional behaviors that you're talking about? I think that whatever science you're using, I question it. I, I don't believe it's true. Um, in fact, there are many women in the world who are far better uh, at uh, not uh, being emotionally. Um, uh, unstable and there are there are many men in the world who are emotionally unstable so it, it actually goes both ways and in my experience um, I'm not seeing that uh, with all the people I've conversed with over the years I'm not encountering more emotional outbursts from women I'm finding it's generally pretty even um, so I I think that that's uh, that's an excuse that I can't accept that the science demonstrates that. Um, well, so, um, um, I respectfully oh, yeah. I, I would respectfully beg to differ, of course. Uh, yeah. Because, well, you're um, saying that I'm not yeah. understanding, and um, so what I'm seeing is is that uh, women are not having the same authority in the marriage as. Uh, as the as the husbands, so they're not um, they're not equal partners in the marriage. Um, my well, wife I would, and I, I would are say, equal I would, partners I would in actually, our marriage, and we well, um, will communicate. Well, when we have to make a decision, and it's uh, in both our best interest to do this. And I like it this way. So I, I would not be comfortable in in a marriage where uh, my wife had less or more power than me. I, I definitely want the authority to be equal. Um, I, I think that. Um, this is a sexist, uh, misogynistic uh, family unit structure. And I, I think it's bad for the world because it puts one person at a lower, uh, having less authority than the other. And if you're, for example, let's consider a marriage where the man is more emotionally unstable and the woman is uh, more stable emotionally, um, then if that's the justification, then she should have more authority and power than him, according to the Islamic family unit. Does Islam allow for exceptions for this? Well, uh, I would beg to respectfully beg to differ with you. Uh, of course, me, I know myself, you do. I'm, 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 I'm married as well. Okay, I have my wife. I don't, I don't uh, consider her to be unequal to me. I think I believe that we are both in an equal partnership, and she has her rights, and she can voice her rights to me. And uh, likewise, yeah, in Islam, uh, the man is always the uh, leader of the house, but at the same time, the woman is the leader of the house. So um, it's balanced in Islam, in Islamic, uh, in Islamic understanding of family in a family unit. 
is balanced and um, both have equal rights in, in not in the same manner as the Western world. In fact, in the Western world, I see that the family unit is actually being broken up and there are a lot of problems with how families are being run. So uh, where's the equality in that? I mean, where's the where's how how is it working for you there in the West? Because uh, in Malaysia, yes, we have our problems. We do. I I don't. I do admit that uh, there's no system. No, there's no system in the world that's perfect. Even Islamic, even the Islamic family system. I agree system, with that. As, I agree with you here. As no understood by as as implemented by Muslims, it, the, the, well, the system is not it's, it's not a problem with Islam itself. It's the it's, it's how the Muslims implemented the system. You see, so uh, there are problems, of course. I mean, it's not perfect because we are human uh, by nature. But uh, overall, I would say that the family unit in uh, in in Muslim societies are much more intact than that in uh, the Western society, okay? So um, in, in Islam, we see that families are united, they uh, socialize, intermingle with each other peacefully without any problems. Divorce, yes, divorce do happen. Yeah. Um, fights do happen, yes. Abuse do happen, but uh, at a minimal rate compared to uh, how it is happening in the Western world. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I don't actually have the facts and figures here, but you, you can read the news and you can see how so, uh, the West is dealing with it, right? I, so, um, yeah. The majority of people I know are not divorced, the married people. And uh, I guess you could say the same for the single people. <laughs> you haven't been married yet. Um, I do know some people who've been divorced and uh, sometimes it's uh, the, the husband who's the cause of the problems. Other times it's the wife who's the cause of the problems. And sometimes it's both of them making the problems. They just don't get along for whatever reason. The freedom to associate is core to the, the values and freedoms of a human of human rights. So if we no longer want to associate with uh, other people or with a group, then that is our right. And that's why divorce is uh, an option. People should be able to end the marriage and it not having to seek a third party's attention for approval for that um, when the other one does not have, doesn't have to. So um, that's where I'm disagreeing. Now, I understand that under Islam, uh, a husband may have many wives. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Now, that can is a correct, wife, but it's not, but it's, but it's not uh, widely practiced. Can I, can I can a wife have multiple husbands under Islam? No, of course not, because that would be illogical and uh, unacceptable in by any human. Because let's say, for example, a woman has many husbands, and the husband sleeps with the wife, right? All husbands, all four husbands, for example, sleeps with the wife, and the wife suddenly gets pregnant. So whose son was it, or whose child is it? So how do oh, we know? Yeah, you, you, of course, you can argue the that you know you can use DNA testing, etc. But um, but what if that particular society does not have access to this technological, you know, so, uh, means? So right? so it doesn't make any sense. In this case, the child would be uh, the uh, would be the son or daughter of all the the parents who are married together in that the, in that would be unfair to the that would be unfair to the other three husbands who did not impregnate the wife. See, <laughs> okay. so if there's only one husband and he marries four wives and all four wives got pregnant, so who's the father of the four of the four of the child of these four wives that are carrying? They, they, they are carrying, of course, it's the man. There's only one husband, right? So all wives, then that will be that will be equal because we know who's the father. But for a wife, for one woman to marry multiple husbands and the wife gets pregnant, whose mm -hmm. child is it? It doesn't. It doesn't it's, seem fair to me that the other three husbands should bear the burden. 
a child belongs that, to that would, DNA, that wouldn't a be... DNA test can, can solve that problem. There are actually some cultures uh, that I've read about that um, people, there's, there's, there isn't the concept of marriage. And if, if a woman gets pregnant, then the, the whole unit of that village raised all the children together. So they all take responsibility together. And that's kind of a, a further example is probably from older times, but um, where with certain societies. Well, um, it's not it's not practical and it's isolated. Yeah, I know you are. Why is that not good? I, I, think, I think you're referring to, uh, you know, societies like the Inuit community, the Eskimos, for example. I think they practice this, if I'm not mistaken. I'm I was not thinking, sure whether they still do. What I read I was, about I, was something, something from some tribes in the rainforest, but I, I suppose it could be. Oh, I see. Well, I see. So, so um, yeah. yeah, but I've I've come across this. I think I think about the one I one I read is uh, about the Eskimos. I I'm, uh, I don't know where. Like I said, I don't know whether they still practice this. But yes, there there is this case so, in certain societies where so the killing, woman marries multiple husbands, right? But but for me, it's still unfair, and it's not practiced widely. It's in isolated regions. It's not like I mean, if you go to any part of the world, you're more likely to see a polygamous marriage, uh, with meaning a man with multiple wives. Rather than a wife with multiple husbands, you see. I mean, or, you can uh, do do uh, the or math. A, or yeah. a poly marriage with multiple men and women in it. That happens too. Um, that what happens that is the be, child that now also, has instead yeah. of um, they have more parents looking after them, and they get more attention, and they can end up having a better quality of life. So, and we don't want to turn this into a whole marriage debate, obviously. But um, I think um, I find that the uh, uh, the family unit. Uh, being promoted under Islam, as you described it, to be sexist and misogynistic against women, obviously, uh, sexist against women. So that's, uh, and that's problematic for making a better world, because as soon as somebody is one class of people, it puts people into different classes, you see. And so when people are in a different class with less power, less authority, then they are automatically a lower class. And that does not make for a better world order, in my view. That makes uh, that puts people arbitrarily down into a lower position uh, when they could be quite capable of being in the position of higher authority and higher power. So that's my view. I, I think you and I obviously disagree on this point. Uh, and if uh, if you want to say something briefly in response to that before we move on to the second point, I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. Sure, sure. Of course. Thank you, Randolph. So basically, um, yeah, I mean, I respect, of course, I, I do uh, uh, appreciate your opinion, but of course, uh, I respectfully, yeah. I have to disagree. And um, I see that uh, the Islamic world, uh, the Islamic understanding of uh, a family unit is being practiced throughout the Muslim world and it's working quite well. And there's no disintegration of Muslim communities. Yeah, of course, there are some societies where the woman is being abused, uh, uh, due to cultural and traditional reasons, nothing to do whatsoever with Islam. But overall, um, speaking, um, I would say that uh, this Islam has maintained a balance between the husband and the wife. And uh, for, yeah, I, I would say that Malaysia is being uh, is a, is one good example of this. So um, that not just Malaysia, there's so many other countries in the Muslim world. Yeah, for example, um, maybe uh, I would say um, uh, Turkey, maybe yes. And uh, some countries in the Middle East, they actually do very well. Like, for example, uh, UAE, Qatar. Yeah, I wouldn't use Saudi, but uh, Saudi, um, I think they are reforming their system. And uh, Jordan, yeah, there's so many countries in the in the Muslim world where uh, the, the you can see uh, there's a balance between the family unit, the husband and the wife, especially. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, 
I, I'll probably have final comments at the end. Um, I've made a note. So, because uh, I want to move on to the next point. So the next point you brought up was the principle number two, the principle of social and political order. And uh, we were talking, you talked about consensus and community. And I wonder um, with this consensus and community, uh, if a community's census uh, could uh, make cause for change to the Quran, the Holy Quran. Um, is this something that would be permitted under Islam if uh, it is a principle of uh, consensus and community is uh, to be taken um, uh, genuinely and, and naturally in its fullest? Or are there Sorry, restrictions could you, against that? Could, could you repeat that? Because I, I didn't quite get you were breaking up just now. I, oh, I couldn't get no problem. Yeah. Um, so your, your second point, the principle of social and political order, uh, you talked about consensus in community. So if the community as a whole, most most members decide it's 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 a most it's a consensus that they decide altogether that there need to be some changes made to the Holy Quran. Would that be permitted under Islam? Uh, no, the, the, the definitely not because the Quran is the revealed word of God. We believe that uh, the Quran is the word made book. So how could that be possible for someone to change anything from the Quran. Okay. So, so when why... I when I, so so when I'm referring to just to to clarify, yeah. Uh, when I say a consensus in community in order to fulfill the divine will, I was talking about the concept of ijma. So the con uh, so the concept of ijma is that um, uh, when there is a certain problem, the community comes together and decides on that issue. For example, let's I'll give you an example. For example, uh, maybe let's say. Uh, there's a problem in the in the community. Okay, there maybe there's a lot of uh, a lot of problems involving, let's say, uh, let's say an economic issue, right? Uh, maybe one family is being uh, has a has a problem with uh, struggle, struggling with with their livelihood, etc. So the community comes together and uh, decides on how to resolve that issue. So that's one example. So what you say, what you your just now, your uh, example just now wouldn't be uh, wouldn't fall under consensus because that would be tempering of the tempering of God's word. So we wouldn't do that. Yeah, but for other issues, uh, other humanity, humanistic or community communal issues, then yes, there shouldn't be a problem with having a consensus on that. Okay, so it's it's a very limited form of consensus in that case, um, and and I have a problem with it because if uh, there's the Holy Quran, let's say it was running my life and I want to make changes to that because there's a problem with it and it needs to be updated for current times. I'm not allowed to do that. I, and I'm not allowed to get people together to do this. Even if we all decide, yeah, it would be a good idea to change something in the Quran to make it more applicable to modern times and the current community, that is not allowed. So that is a problem. And that is, uh, I think, a number one reason why that, that, that the Quran cannot be changed and yet people are supposed to live by it. And I think that that's probably the number one reason why uh, Islam is not better for the world. Well, um, respectfully, again, I would have to disagree with you because um, if we are going to change the Quran, then we are creating a new religion on our own. See, because when once you create, you because all these principles that I've listed out here is all, are all derived from the Quran itself. So, if you're going to change uh, anything from the Quran, then these principles will, of course, change, and that wouldn't make any sense, would it? Now, so why are there uh, twenty-seven different Qurans that have different Arabic wording in them and different denominations? Are 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 they all wrong except for one? 
Um, the, those that you are referring to is a polemic uh, repeated by Jay Smith, David Wood, and their and their cohorts. Okay, so uh, it's actually a misunderstanding of uh, the Quranic text. Okay, so there's there's always been one Quran. Okay, actually you can refer to my. I actually have a had a video uh, interview with uh, Dr. Joseph Lambat, uh, professor of uh, Islamic studies at. Uh, in in Qatar, so we actually talked about the uh, the uh, Quranic text and the manuscripts, and uh, he stressed that there has always been one Quran, and this is uh, can be proven from the Quranic manuscripts itself. So I would suggest I would respectfully ask you to take a look at the interview. Perhaps oh, then you're, you could, you're deferring uh, to the interview. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, perhaps yeah. you can share the link with James. You can include it in the description later. Sure, um, sure, I will do that. I will yeah. do that. So. Uh, Okay, so that's, uh, uh, I guess we'll move on to the third point here. Obviously, you and I disagree on this. Um, the uh, principle of economy, and uh, Islam stresses the importance of economy, finance, profit sharing, and charity. Uh, I, I do kind of agree. Um, I think that uh, it's important that uh, uh, the economy be well-defined and consistent so that people can trust and rely on it. So um, I, I'm, I don't know the particulars of the Islamic version of that, but um, basically what you're talking about here, the finance um, being the consistency of finance and regulations on it um, that are serving society well, uh, profit sharing and charity seem to make sense to me. So I, I don't think you have any objection to what I'm saying here. Yeah, not really. Uh, it's okay. just that uh, just to clarify a bit, right? So um, in yeah. Islam, we have uh, we have the economic system, right? Islamic economic system. In fact, in Malaysia, we actually we were the first country to implement this the, the Islamic banking system. Okay, so um, we have we have a bank here called Bank Islam. Okay, the Islamic bank, and uh, there have been there's another Islamic bank as well, uh, Bank Muamalat. So we have these two Islamic banks in in Malaysia. And other bank and the other conventional banks have also taken adopted this uh, Islamic system, and they have Islamic savings accounts, current accounts in their respective uh, 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 system. So um, basically, um, I would say that Malaysia is the pioneer in uh, in uh, in uh, promotion in the promotion of the Islamic system. So the Islamic system in Malaysia, we have something called uh, basically the principle of Islamic uh, the, the the economic principle in Islam is that we are not allowed to have interest, okay, to or what we call riba in uh, in the Islamic uh, correspondence, okay, economic correspondence between one another. We cannot, we are not allowed to charge interest for anything or any any trading involving uh, money. We cannot have interest in it. So what this economic system does is that it removes this concept and we introduce a concept called profit sharing, al-mudaraba. So um, um, to be honest, I'm not really uh, fluent in the details, but you can okay. refer are the so basically, uh, so, so basically this is the this is the principle yes so, yeah. so if somebody borrows money from the islamic bank uh, they have a zero interest loan is that right zero interest loan that's correct wow so um and does uh, can anybody borrow money from that bank or uh, and, and are there any fees that they have to pay anyone can borrow money from the bank it's not limited to just muslims it's just okay. the Islamic principle. Yeah. How how do they how do they uh, make a profit, or is it meant not to make profit? Al mudaraba profit sharing, meaning so the money that you borrow from the bank, uh, when you pay uh, when you pay back the bank, the bank will invest it into another system. So the returns from that system it will be put into the, the your account. If there is if there is profit sharing, if there is no sorry, if there is any profit being made, if there is no profit, then you get zero, of course. Uh, but oh. uh, but usually there is profit. 
Yeah. Well, uh, well, where's the profit come from? If these, um, if you're borrowing money at zero interest, then there's no profit being made there. That's uh, the profit unless... comes from the, the the profit comes from from the bank from the bank making money on into other trades or other businesses. So the the way banks when banks are lending money, what they're actually doing is they're selling money to people, and they sell it for. Uh, They'll charge fees and they'll charge interest, and that's how they make their money. Do the Islamic banks charge fees? Well, maybe a nominal fee, administrative fee, but not, but not, but not interest. Yeah. What, what What would be an example of a nominal fee? Uh, maybe you know, administrative fee for you know maintaining the account. Maybe a annual fee, for example. Of, let's say, for example, in Malaysia, it probably like ten ringgit or twenty ringgit per 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 year per annum. So something like this, yeah. But um, but the money that the bank earns, uh, it will go into trade. Like I said, it goes into trade companies, maybe public shares, for example. So the profit from this public shares we put into your account and split among the uh, the uh, account holders. Yeah, that's how Mudaraba works. Okay, in, in basic in its basic form. I I I of course I have to clarify that I'm not an expert in Islamic uh, finance, right? Okay. But this is how I understand it, right? So I do think that that would be good for the world to uh, to lend money to people at zero interest. And uh, it would depend on what the fees are. I need to look into the details of that aspect, obviously. If the fees work out to be about the same as uh, uh, standard interest at typical banks today that are not yeah. Islamic, uh, then that's basically just um, giving interest fees a different name and still charging, in effect, still charging interest, but doing it in a different form. It's just word games. But you know, it depends on what the fees are. That that's something interesting to look into. All right, thank you for that. Um, sure. You mentioned uh, principle of world order. Islam recognizes all Muslims as brothers and sisters. I, I think you just said brothers, but I think you meant brothers and sisters, right? Yes, I do. I okay. do. Yeah, and, brethren. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I'm being charitable here. <laughs> um, the uh, yes, yeah. the goal you said is peace under Islamic law under Sharia. Now the yes, that's right. thing is when I look at uh, certain um, uh, verses in the Quran that talk about treating non-Muslims very badly, killing them, for instance, and and we got into this in great detail with uh, near uh, me and, and Nadir Ahmed uh, debated on this very channel, Modern Day Debate. I saw that. Uh, I, I saw that. December. Debate. Yeah. 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 So you remember four eighty nine, and then the the spot check in the next two afterwards. So that was uh, an interesting um, uh, exchange. I, I I found it very very uh, enjoyable to go back and forth with them on it. Um, the uh, and I, and I called those spot checks the three annoyances, and and that seemed to <laughs> seem to stir a few things up. Um, now, the problem that I see with this uh, is that it's excluding non-Muslims, um, or in a way, for anybody who doesn't conform to Islam is um, is pressured to conform. They're pressured to to follow the the Sharia, follow the rules and and things that are recommended in the Quran, and and to emulate many of the uh, uh, the characteristics of Muhammad the Prophet. So, to me, this these are restrictions that are being put on people, and uh, I, I I find that where people are limited, uh, where their freedoms are limited, that their life satisfaction is not um, where it needs to be. Um, it could be a lot better if they have more options. And I, and so I'm very much against limiting options. I'm very much in favor of the freedom here. So 
the principle of world order in the vision of Islam to me doesn't seem like the best approach to use because uh, the Quran was written around 1400 years ago and um, or Islam came up came to be around 1400 years ago I should say I, I don't know when the Quran was written I understand it was there's some debate about that um, but uh, approximately 1400 years ago the Islam came to be so um, Today, the world is very different. We have technology, instant communication, and all sorts of different things. Um, the ability to travel fast uh, to different places and um, grow food more efficiently and all sorts of things in modern medicine that helps people. Um, and we have a better understanding of psychology as well. So a punishment-based system uh, doesn't uh, has been shown not to work as well as a rehabilitative system. And so I, I, I think that um, it seems to me that where the Quran is, is it doesn't fit with these current modern times that we're in and doesn't, uh, doesn't bring us to um, a, a peaceful world. It brings us to, and, and it's been said many times that when you look under um, uh, regions that are, uh, that you have multiple denominations of Islam, that people are uh, sometimes against each other and uh, even trying to kill each other off if they refuse to convert to their denomination. So um, this doesn't look to me like it's working very well, uh, Islam, Islam that is. Uh, well, um, I think I need to uh, clarify certain things. Um, okay. Well, um, yeah. So, um, uh, so uh, there are some things which uh, I agree with you, and there are some things which I don't know. For, obviously, so um, okay. just to clarify certain things. All right. What so, do you agree um, with? First of all, um, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I agree with you that you know there are problems in the Muslim world. Right. So certain parts of the Muslim world, uh, Muslims are killing Muslims, but this is not due. To Islam, yeah. uh, to the Islamic principle, it's just that Muslims uh, either misunderstand how the Quran is being interpreted, how the how the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. By the way, that means peace be upon him, right? Yeah, uh, peace yeah. be uh, is being uh, how he practiced Islam. Sounds pretty uh, okay, cool so, when people say it. Actually, yeah. <laughs> in in your era, <laughs> it's got an interesting sound to it. So yes, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, the problem is actually not with uh, Islam. The problem is actually with the Muslims. Okay, so like for example, you have yeah, you have wars. Of course, of course, you're going to have wars in 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 <laughs> in in human society. There's there's no escape from it. Okay, wars is an inevitable thing. It, it has been with with humankind since the, from the very beginning, right? But uh, how do you regulate war? How do you ensure that war, uh, the damage from war is kept to a minimum? Well, Islam has the answer, you see? So Islam actually, um, you know, we, um, in, the, in the modern society that we live in now, we have the uh, Geneva Conventions and all those conventions that, you know, the international law, uh, which, uh, you know, regulates warfare, right? But, but uh, Islam has predated that. By, by several centuries, by introducing laws and regulations regarding warfare, for example. So, for example, like uh, the Prophet said, Salawah uh, you know, said, uh, if you want to go to war, you cannot kill the civilians, you cannot burn the trees, you cannot destroy churches, etc. So all these principles are actually already, it's actually now only enshrined in conventions like the Geneva Conventions, etc. You see? So, um, how... Um, as, and you said at the beginning that Islam was, since Islam was written 1,400 years ago, therefore it's practical with today's... Uh, uh, no, no, I'm not times. saying, be, I'm not, to be clear, I'm not saying because of its age it's not compatible. I'm saying that, uh, I'm pointing out that it's been around for a long time 
And, you know, yeah. you've even admit, you've even pointed, you've even confirmed, confirmed for me that it's not, um, uh, it can't be updated, even if there's consensus and community on it. So there's, um, I, I'm saying that it's not really fitting very well with the, the needs of people in the current times here. Um, I think also, I'll tell you, I, I don't think it fit very well with people in past times either, um, because the biggest fundamental problem I have with it is the imposition on people's freedoms. Okay, so anyway, um, <clears throat> so um, I would say that Islam is updated. I mean, the Quran is updated with even current times, even though it was written many. I mean, it was around, been around for a long time because it understands the nature of men to go to war. And like, for example, the example that I gave, for example, warfare, Islam has already regulated it. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, um, uh, so I think you mentioned something about, um, what was it again? Maybe you can repeat some of your points again so I can recall. Uh, which points? Um, sorry, the yeah. what I just said to you now. The earlier points. Uh, yeah, the main uh, ones. Yeah, regarding the, uh, the, the, the main ones. Yeah. The, yeah, the main, just, the primary one I just mentioned is that uh, the imposition on people's freedoms is is the issue that I have with it because uh, it's uh, you know it's it, not only is it limiting the people who choose to follow it, it's limiting those who are forced to follow it. And um, oh, okay, yeah, I was going to yeah. Sorry, thank you for reminding. I was just going to touch yeah. about that about it. So okay, okay. <laughs> so you were talking about uh, Mus- uh, people, uh, humankind, or, or non-Muslims or Muslims living in the Islamic society, for example, and that you know if if that is the case, then maybe non-Muslims are required to follow Islamic law, etc., and therefore that will impede their freedoms. Well, um, I would say that is the same thing for Muslims living in the West, for example. I mean, Muslims are a minority in the West, so when Muslims need to conform with. Uh, the laws of the land. So, uh, has that been a problem for Muslims to do this to do so? So, I why should it be a problem for non-Muslims to follow the laws of the land? I find it interesting that you are emphasizing Muslims being a minority. Um, see, here in Canada, everyone has the right to be part of a religion, to express themselves freely, to associate with different groups, to uh, have opinions. Yes, All in, in Islamic, yes, in Islamic. In Islamic and, and, society, is the well, same thing. Hang on. The same thing. But yeah. hang on. In Saudi Arabia, for example, um, if somebody is discovered to be someone who doesn't believe in gods, then they will be uh, categorized under the legal system as a terrorist and then sentenced to a thousand lashes followed by death. Um, this was uh, something that was discovered, I think, by the Dawkins Foundation a few years ago and a number of years ago. And uh, others who live in Saudi Arabia have told me about the thousand lashes part of it. So it doesn't sound good. Um, even if they're just being put to death without the lashes, that's still terrible. Or if they're only getting one of those, that's um, that's an imposition. Whereas here in Canada, people are free to be Muslim or non-Muslim or Christian or Jewish or whatever religion they want, or not at all, as in the case of atheism. So I do think that, um, and we're also free to critique each other's uh, viewpoints and, and religions and whatnot, and, uh, and non-religions. So like what you and I are doing here. So uh, this to me uh, is a better way to live. I think Saudi Arabia shows an example of uh, people who are... Um, uh, who are being having to fit into the, they're basically applying everything under Islamic Sharia is, is my understanding. And they're very often cited as the example of uh, what an Islamic society would look like um, because being a legitimate Islamic society. Now I know there's other countries that are under Islam as well. 
Um, but uh, that's that's a big one. So that's why I mentioned that. Yeah, well, um, you know, why out of all the hundred plus countries that you uh, that are available in the Muslim world, why do you have to pick Saudi as an example? Because Saudi doesn't represent me, okay, even because though I'm a Muslim. Because it's no, mass, it's not. It's, um, it's no, country. actually, the actually the uh, the largest number of Muslims in the world uh, is not in. Uh, it's not probably in Saudi. Iran. No, not even Iran. It's, oh, it's, where? It's, it's, it's a Indonesia. city in Indonesia. Oh, okay. Yes, it's a city in Indonesia, and it's a country next door to me, now, Malaysia. So if you if you yeah. yeah so so actually Indonesia and Malaysia. So that, sorry, I just need to clarify this. So yeah. Indonesia and Malaysia, we are actually culturally linked together. Okay, even though it's a separate country, but um, yeah, yeah, they're almost the same lingo, right? So if you count Indonesia and Malaysia and the other countries, one or two countries surrounding Indonesia, which are related to Indonesia. It's quite a huge number of Muslims here, so we are actually the largest number of Muslims in the world. Well, yeah. In, so Indonesia, we, yeah. Indonesia has a constitution that guarantees religious freedom along with other freedoms, but it's not actually used. And what they have in Indonesia is a law that I think by eighteen or nineteen years old, a person has to choose from one of five religions to be a part of. And if they don't make that choice, they go they stay in prison for that whole time. And if it takes them two weeks, then their sentence is doubled. Uh, by the time they uh, decide a religion, so they, they they have to suffer for another two weeks, and if they therefore it takes them three months, then their sentence turns into six months total, and then they're free. So this to me, uh, and I know Buddhism and Islam and uh, Christianity, I think are three of them. I don't remember what the other two are, but they're all religions. None of them is an option for non-religion, and none of them is an option for a whole bunch of other religions too. They're just not part of it. So it's very restrictive and limited. And my understanding is the majority of people there are Muslims and uh, not everybody. And and somehow this is seen as fair. And I, I don't see this as freedom. This is still um, a restriction, still an imposition. And um, even if it's five or 20, um, it's still restricted. It's not wide open and free. So I, I do think that that's also a failure. Um, I guess it's not as bad as Saudi Arabia, but um, it is, um, it's still pretty horrible in my view. Well, um, I wouldn't say the Indonesian political system is also, is a representation of Muslims because they are secular. Okay, they have this thing called Pancasila, which is a secular ideology. So um, I wouldn't say that is a fair assessment of how we view the Muslim world. You should actually view the Muslim world collectively because uh, the Muslim world is not homogeneous. Okay, it's it's uh, it's fractured and well, there are you multiple mentioned, You mentioned countries. Indonesia, so yeah. that's why I I talked about the problems with Indonesia. Yes, I. I, know, I was I talking did, Saudi Arabia I, 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 first, and you said, "Why choose it?" And then you directed me to Indonesia yeah, and Malaysia. Yeah, so, so okay, um, from yes, those two, I yes, I did, but, um, but 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 I was yes, I was just trying to point out that uh, in so what happens in Saudi doesn't really represent Muslims. So what happens in what happens right. in Indonesia doesn't necessarily represent me as well. Okay, so whatever happens in Malaysia doesn't represent other Muslims in the in other parts of the world. So you cannot judge. Uh, Muslim society based on just one country or one individualistic country or one individual I, I think, system. You, you can I think do when this. you see large populations um, proud of their society um, in the way it is in places like Indonesia and Saudi Arabia and other places, um, saying that um, that is uh, representative of Islam uh, running a, a country, then and we're seeing it happen. I do think that that's reasonable to judge by that because there's such a large. It's almost a consensus which uh, Islam but, apparently but, supports. It's one of the principles to support consensus. But if you're going to use that argument, then I'm going to have to use, you know, examples like China or, or North Korea as a representative of atheists. Will you agree with me on that? 
if that is yeah. the methodology you're going to well, use. You're not going to agree with me on that. I'm, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't agree with me using North Korea and China. But the difference is, though, well, North Korea is a religious state. The uh, the, the dictator is uh, is presenting himself as a deity. But um, China is definitely atheist. Um, they're, they're secular government. Um, they're, um, the, the difference is, though, with uh, with an atheistic uh, kind of government, with, which is a secular, you don't have people um, looking at some kind of ideology for atheism to decide what to do because atheism isn't an ideology. And so the value there is definitely coming directly from the people, whereas Islam, it's coming from Islam itself because there's that whole yes. doctrine of the Holy Quran. So of course. The connection is there, whereas with an atheist regime, you won't see that kind of connection. That's not there. It's the individuals running it. And you're arguing it's the same at the individuals running the Islamic one. Sure. But the problem is they're justifying all this stuff using Islam. There, there's nothing that can be justified with atheism that's going on in China. Uh, the good stuff and the bad stuff, because atheism isn't an ideology. So people are free to make things and we hopefully make the best decisions for ourselves we don't always do that we see demonstrations of that with islam and other religions we see demonstrations of that with atheists but the problem is with uh when there is uh, a religious doctrine that people are basing it on and this doctrine cannot be changed even if the whole community thinks it should be which you also admitted earlier um then people get stuck and you you're limiting people's uh, the, the person's progress is limited. People can't question it. People can't push back against it. Can't say, get rid of this thing. It's not allowed. And that that's a problem. Whereas with atheism, things can be changed if the people want that, you know? So. So um, can, can things change in China? If, uh, if people yep. decides to overthrow the government, the atheistic government and install a religious order, so that's the thing. If uh, governments do get uh, get replaced from time to time, um, unfortunately, the current government is there to stay until the end of the life of the, the current leader. Um, but uh, once uh, he's uh, removed from that picture, hopefully things will uh, change in that regard. Um, I'm not uh, certain that democracy would work really well in such a large society. I think a different system is needed. That includes many democratic characteristics, um, but I, I, I don't uh, think that just saying everything should be run according to Islam is going to make the world a better place. If the whole world is run under Islam, people would be required to, to, uh, to, to go along with all these things. And what we see in countries like uh, Saudi Arabia and Indonesia, where it's practiced, is that people are going to prison for thought crimes. Sorry, what crimes were you saying? Sorry, what crimes? Thought crimes. I didn't get that. Crimes of thinking. Thought crimes. Um, Sorry, my microphone's breaking up. Okay, it's all right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thought crimes. Um, no, we don't. We don't. We don't persecute people for thought crimes in Islam. Yeah. I mean, if, if other countries are doing it, it doesn't mean that it came from Islam. See, it, it probably came from the authoritarian well, leader. Well, yeah, but, but the it's problem definitely not Islamic. The point I made was that people are using Islam to justify those kinds of wicked policies. And well, um, in China, it's, it's, it's pretty much. But the thing is, in China, it's also the same thing. You know, you can be persecuted for having even a religion. So, how is that any better than the Islamic system that you? No, claim? actually, they don't yeah. prosecute people for being part of a religion. Uh, there, that's they do. actually wrong information. Yeah, 
they do actually. I have I have information from China where um, religions are not, are discouraged, and um, most of them are actually practiced underground. Okay, religions um, are regulated quite strictly in China um, because uh, China's concerns are that people are going to use that to try to interfere with the political system. And they are uh, basically the people who are getting into trouble there are already know that it's the law that you don't interfere with politics and bring your religion into it. And so if they, they bring the religion into the political sphere and, and say, do this and change all this, that's a problem. Now, I'm more in favor of a system that uh, allows for political dissent publicly and whatnot. Um, China's reason for it will be because the population is so large. And if they were to uh, 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 basically to, to allow that, that could create some major problems in their society. That's what the government perceives. And so that's where you see the problem. So people talk about how there's Islam's not allowed to be practiced in China, which is not true. Last time I looked it up, there were over 50,000 mosques throughout the whole country. That's a lot of people uh, practicing yes, Islam. Yes, Islam. And yeah, I, and I do. I, I do consider that. I have yeah. friends and yeah, relatives in China, yeah. mostly friends, and they are. Um, uh, they tell me that yeah, there's people that are, are doing it, but they're kind of there aren't. They don't see a lot of people who are religious. Most of the people there are not, um, but they, mm. they see them. They see Christians. They see others as well. So, uh, if you go close to the border by India, there's more Hinduism that you see in the Chinese culture there too, because it 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 spread. It traverses the border, right? So uh, there, right, there's right. local influences like that. So, um, and yeah, I, I so, don't, um, don't yeah, want to try to defend I, China or any other country yeah. here. It's just, um, I, I think that uh, I, I'm not going to accept the misinformation about it. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand completely where yeah. you're coming from. Oh, by the way, I am I am uh, learning Mandarin just so it was, just so you know. So oh, hanhao, hanhao, yeah, hanhao, hanhao, <laughs> yeah. So so I so I do uh, so I do. Wo wo hui shuo yi dia yi dia yi dia han yu. So I do. Wo ye shuo yi dian dian. Just for our audience, we're just we just said very good first, and then we're just uh, reflecting on how we both speak very little Chinese. So yeah, anyway, yes, um, yeah, yeah so we'll we'll stick with English though. Um, Yes, they, uh, yes. that, that's uh, hey, we're learning about each other. These exchanges are important because yes. you learn more about other people. And yes, I uh, agree. Now, I think uh, so. I, I, I do see that exclusivity part of it. The demand for conformity is a problem. Now, the fifth point you brought up was the principle of promoting art and beauty. And I, I do think that art is a very important thing to have in society. Um, it uh, it can especially art not being limited from being controversial. So all types of art, I think, are valuable. Now, some types of art, I'm, not, I'm against censorship. However, at the video store, I do think it's good that there's a rating system that says, that's an R-rated video. That's a triple X-rated video. So that people can have an idea of what category it is in, but that's not stopping them from, that's not censorship. That's just categorizing them so people can make informed decisions about which video they're renting. Or nowadays, I think went on to DVDs and then now it's all on the internet. But that exemplifies my point here. Now, one of the problems I have here with saying you're promoting art and beauty, and beauty is very subjective. So is completely subjective. Uh, but I still like the principle of promoting all these things and discussing what is beautiful and what is true and all these sorts of things that Christopher Hitchens promoted as well. That's where I'm getting that from. So uh, if it's true that 
Islam is promoting art. And to promote art, art must not be something that's censored. It must be a wide open playing field if you're genuine about promoting art. Then why is it that so many Muslims were objecting to drawings of Muhammad? Well, uh, to draw a picture of uh, the Prophet or yes, any the Prophet, prophet Muhammad. Yeah, it's, it's not just it's not just Muhammad limited to the Prophet Muhammad. By the way, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is also um, if you draw a photo or a picture or a, in a derogatory way uh, of uh, Moses, for example, Allah Salam, or of of Jesus Allah Salam in a in a demeaning and humiliating manner, then then yes, we Muslims would be offended regardless. Yeah, it's it's, it's not there's it's not actually the drawing per se that offends Muslims. It's the way the drawing was. Uh, representing the Prophet no. Salah Wallahi Wa Sallam. Just, just, yeah. to, just to point out, there's a large audience here. You might have just given people ideas on more kinds of drawings they can do. <laughs> that could cause trouble. Yeah, I mean, uh, they are free to do it, <laughs> but they're going to... Yeah, I mean, um, if they want to do it, it's up to them, but they're going to sure. answer to God. Right, that's, that's, that's the important point. It's up to them. And that's the thing, like, after the 9-11 uh, tragedy in New York... Um, with the, the Twin Towers being taken down by airplanes. Um, the There were people who were talking about drawing the picture of Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, and then uh, people were questioning it. And, and many media organizations were refusing to publish this in their newspapers, almost all of them, out of fear of reprisal, violent reprisal of being bombed at their headquarters and all this kind of thing. So when the world sees this, we're not seeing this as a religion of peace. We're seeing this as violence being perpetuated to uh, defend a principle and to impose the Islamic uh, rule. It seemed to be presented as a rule under Islam that the Prophet Muhammad cannot be depicted. And then uh, people were saying, why is Islam suddenly taking over and trying to put itself as more important than my legal system that I is in my country that uh, ensures freedom of expression. Now, if a person doesn't want to draw these things, that's their choice, right? If they want to draw it or not, but it should be their freedom to do it. Now, here in Canada, um, the, the Muslims here all have freedom of expression all uh, for them. They can draw in any way they want. I don't know a single Muslim here who's drawing pictures of Muhammad. So, but... Well, um it's, it, yeah, it, it, is, it yeah. is available to them under law. There's nothing illegal about it. So they're choosing to be part of their religion, which forbids it, and they're following that. That's their choice. That's fine. So again, well, I uh, I, problem. I, I, limiting I, the expression I, I, I of art, two, I, I think, have, is bad for sorry. the world. Okay, well, um, I have two responses to that, actually. So the first response would be, sure. let's say if I were to draw something of Hitler, right? in a very flattering form. For example, hail Hitler, death to the, you know what? Oh, yeah, so, uh, yeah. would, would that would that, would that that be allowed in Canada, under Canadian law? Would that be allowed under European law? There are people here who do that and they don't get arrested for it. Yeah, but if, let's say if I do it in France, for example, or in Austria or in Germany, would I get arrested for it? I suspect in Germany, you very likely would because uh, the, the history and whatnot. And I do think that they're yes. uh, limiting people's freedom of expression. Um, now, if you're the issue is the delineating factor is that if you're doing these things to promote people and get people riled up and acting violently and trying to cause other problems, then you can be held liable for that. You can be charged for that because you're uh, perpetuating. Uh, but hatred. then I would argue, I, I know, I mean, I mean, someone who draws something like this, something, yeah, I, I agree with you, it's hatred, but. Um, 
But if someone who thinks that it's not hatred, you know, the same way as you would view someone who drew, you know, unflattering uh, pictures of the Prophet Muhammad, wasallam, if someone were to do the same thing, but instead of doing it to the Prophet, they do it to Hitler in a very flattering and uh, honorable way, in a way that praises Hitler. We know what Hitler did during World War II and, you know, that Nazism yeah. is criminalized. Right? And yet they are doing this and, and it's against uh, the European law in any country. And yet they're doing it anyway, and and so, and also and and people and the law will, will will be enforced upon them. How is that freedom of expression? You, then are you are you assuming that if people draw the Prophet Muhammad in a bad way, that it's going to cause people to act badly and and be violent? Yeah, uh, that, let's. Oh, that's another thing I need to clarify. Um, I don't agree, of course, with uh, people threatening to bomb or destroy officers just because they drew unflattering. Uh, caricature yeah. of the prophet. The feeling right. I have that, of that, you that, is that, that, you're, that, not, that you're the type yeah. of person to disagree with that. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's yes. quite that, let's, 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 put it, let's, let's put it clear, right? I don't agree at all with uh, threats being made against officers who uh, want to destroy of, uh, you know, them because just simply because they insulted the prophet. At the same time, that doesn't mean I agree with those uh, caricatures being made in the first place. Right. Okay. So hence, and, hence, that is why I gave the the, the example of Hitler, right? So uh, if there's a law against, if there's a law, uh, you know, regulating uh, Hitler being drawn or being uh, caricatured in a in a flattering and and you know and and praiseworthy way, why why should there be a problem if Muslims are offended when uh, you know when uh, the Prophet is being insulted, humiliated, demeaned in such a in such a way, you see. So um, I think it, it goes back to respect and understanding of the. Well, uh, the how do you know that he's insulted? Religion. I mean, respect. Respect. How could how could you possibly know? I mean, that I've seen a, I've seen a, I've seen a, I've seen a, 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 a caricature or a horrible drawing of the prophet or what they claim to be the prophet sure. wearing a turban made of a bomb, and yeah, how is that? You know, some, something something like this, something like my turban here, right? So it's how famous. is that? How how is that acceptable? You know, to me as a Muslim, of course I'm offended. Yeah, of course You're I'm insulted. Offended, but you said Muhammad was would be offended by it. How would you know that? No, the Prophet would not be probably would not be offended. We Muslims will be offended because you see, we Muslims, yeah. you need to understand another principle as well. I was, I was, I was going to explain that. Sorry, I take a bit of your time. So okay. you need to understand how we Muslims view uh, the Prophet Wasallam. We view him to be dearer to us than even our own parents. So um I understand that. So if so and yeah, I appreciate so to, that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So um if you were to insult someone who is very, very, very dear to you in such a humiliating way, I mean this is a human uh nature to it's a human uh, expression of emotion to be to be offended when something dear or something precious to you is being offended. For example, let's say if I if someone were to take a, a picture of your wife in a let's say uh, I have to use this example, right? In a maybe in a nude form, for example, and uh they make demeaning claims about your wife and they spread the photo everywhere. Wouldn't you be offended? Wouldn't you want to take action against it? I would want to take action um, yeah. if, uh, if it's it, done without it, consent, mm. most certainly. Uh, because Definitely uh, not would with, be, without consent. That would, be a violation yeah. of, that would be a violation of privacy laws here in Canada. Mm. But uh, the, the point exactly. I'm getting at, the point I want to get at is here, the uh, and that's reasonable. Um, that's a reasonable question you ask. Now, the, the problem is like with with uh, if you're offended by 
an idea someone's presented. Art is all about ideas. It's representing ideas. How is it an idea if someone were to draw it? Uh, uh, let's, yeah. let's say a caricature. Let's it's say a, a caricature of me. It's a statement. Okay, not just the prophet, but me, all right? Just sure. me with a turban but, and a bomb on my head. Yeah, so that was a statement, that original art piece you brought up uh, in response to 9-11. And uh, uh, it was criticizing uh, President, ex-president George Bush Jr. for uh, calling Islam a religion of peace. Uh, how, how is that criticizing when you draw someone's face with a bomb on his head when that person doesn't necessarily agree? How would you know that the prophet agreed with 9-11? It's an artistic, it's an artistic form. Now, obviously, you know, people, I think, know now. The issue is, though. Let's, let's say yes, if someone were to draw, no, I mean, you know how I how I think, how I behave. So if someone were to spread an image of me wearing a bomb yeah. on my turban, would you agree with that? Would you agree I, that I don't, an expression of I, I, I don't think that you'd be that would represent you properly, but I don't know you well enough. But I, on my first impression is you're not that type to go and blow things up. Um, but exactly. So how, the how issue would here that justify? Is, so how would that justify the prophet being drawn in such a manner? That's my question. Well, uh, the the difference is that you didn't write the Holy Quran, so people are looking at that and saying the people who flew the airplanes into the buildings or doing suicide bombing are uh, acting uh, in accordance with uh, what's in the Quran. And but no Muslim would agree with nine eleven. Nobody agrees. I don't agree with nine eleven. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, uh, so um, the point that I'm trying to get at here, and I've tried multiple times now, is that uh, people are offended, which is a valid uh, emotion to have. Yes. But the mark of a civilized society, in my view, is in how people uh, respond to things and if they respond by es escalating to an act of violence that's not civilized that's that's taking it up from just an idea to a violent act that's in a whole different realm that is attempting to yes on that uh, i think i think discourage, on that we urge i think on that we agree. It's, it's yeah. a whole different realm that's discouraging intended to discourage others from expressing themselves freely so to be fully in support of art and be promoting that, one must be willing to have the stuff that they find distasteful as well. Um, most people are, when people see this kind of art, they're, most people in civilized society will probably say that's not very nice. And the reaction will be maybe wanting to know more about why does somebody feel that way? That would be the better way than to respond with acts of violence like shooting up Charlie Hebdo's uh, headquarters when all they did was publish stuff, you know, um, it's to, to say that um, the problem is that people will escalate to acts of violence is I think looking at things the wrong way, because uh, that leads to uh, favoring censorship. Instead, we need to be better as, as a, a species in this world uh, at responding to things like that that are offensive to us so that we can respond in a way that's more civilized. And, you know, people can respond in kind with art of their own. And that's the beauty of free expression. You can talk about it and criticize it and, and clarify your views about it as you have here. And I support that. Yeah, this, well, doesn't, this doesn't um, make the world better to you. limit people. Yeah. The communication is very important. Free expression is a very important part of that. Yes, uh, yeah.
on on that of course we we both agree that uh, okay. violence is not the solution to 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 this to this issue but at the same time I would, I would like yeah. to yes so what i would like to yeah Mm-hmm. Missed your, your message, but basically we're going to jump into the Q&A in just a little bit and we're going to run through it very quickly so we can get our speakers out at a decent time tonight, folks. So if you, have, if you do have any questions, please get them in quickly as we've got a good list already and we're going to move through them quickly. But in terms of closing statements, if you guys would still like a closing statement. Yes, sir. Yes, of course. Let's of jump course. into those now, and then we'll jump into the Q&A. So, given that Randolph had started, we'll give Randolph the first closing statement, followed by MENJ. Randolph, the floor is all yours for your closing statement. Thank you, James. And uh, thank you, uh, the Muslim apologist, uh, for this uh, back and forth. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm left with uh, my understanding of Islam that there are restrictions imposed on people and there are imbalances on the sexes that I think, in my opinion, are not good for the world in the long run. Atheism does not impose any of these kinds of limits on anybody. Um, there are individuals that you will find who are good and bad in, um, in atheism and as well as Islam and other religions as well. And in my own experience uh, throughout the world is that this percentage is pretty much the same in all these demographics because it's, it's a people issue. So I, uh, I, I have a big problem with the, the thing we mentioned, talked about earlier with the, uh, the, the Islamic family unit that uh, uh, I see it is very, very imbalanced and very uh, uh, biased against women in, in a very misogynistic, uh, sexist way, because uh, the women do not have the same rights as the men. And they, uh, they have, uh, the man has a total freedom to end the marriage. The woman has to go through extra procedures to end the marriage. And uh, there's uh, the other issue with the, uh, the number of wives a man can have is uh, one or more, whereas a woman can only have one husband. The, uh, these things are, when you have uh, anybody in a society who sees that somebody else for an arbitrary reason they have no control over, such as their sex, uh, that they, uh, they don't have certain advantages that the other sex has, that does not make for a good society. That uh, If we take a look at the history of women having to fight for the right to vote, and in some uh, countries where it got really violent and women even went to prison for long periods of time and endured torture uh, so that they could get the right to vote, how important this freedom is. This is important to people, and this should be important to you, because if freedom is restricted, the practice of freedom being restricted becomes normalized, then that could end up happening to you. That could happen to people you love who are your offspring down the road or other people who don't deserve it. Uh, nobody deserves it. So it is so important that the equality, which is in a secular society, which is not associated with a particular religion is therefore atheistic uh, be the one that prevails because under a uh, under a system that doesn't favor a particular religion including islam um, people who are religious can be parts of their religion be partake in their religions and and still thrive because uh, they're not being uh, limited or 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 imposed on in any way so it boils down to freedom. Uh, again, I, as I've mentioned before, maybe not today, but I've mentioned before that in the term, the name Islam, 
does uh, represent submission. So you're submitting to the standard. And I have, uh, if people willingly choose to go into that, that's fine. Um, but if people are going to um, uh, impose on and force people into that, then that's where there's a problem because that's a limitation on our freedoms. It is my it is my belief and in my experience as well, what I've seen in societies that people who are free to think for themselves, to, to be who they want to be, um, to including transitioning and, and uh, sexual orientation and, and all these very important factors to a person, um, they're important to people. And if people can freely uh, be and freely have these options and, and equality, they can be the best, they have the they have the potential to be the live the best possible life that they can live. And if everybody's, if more people and, and hopefully everybody can live a better quality life, have a better quality existence in the end, we can have better quality societies. I prefer to be in a society where people have these freedoms because we have more diversity and uh, it's more interesting to get to know more people and uh, their better quality lives uh, carries over into everybody else's and we all have better quality lives and that's what the world needs thank you very much freedom for the win <laughs> thank you james and thank you uh the muslim apologist i look forward to your uh, closing statement thank you very much and want to remind you folks before we jump into the closing statement from muslim apologist both of our guests are linked in the description if you want to hear more you certainly can and that includes at the podcast as all of our debates are uploaded to the podcast within 24 hours of the debate and we put our guest links there as well so if you're listening to the podcast right now you can find their links down below with that muslim apologist the floor is all yours for your closing as well thank you uh james and uh Thank you again, Randolph, for that uh, discourse. Uh, I find you to be a very respectable gentleman, and I, I, I honestly, I do <laughs> appreciate it very much. Likewise, likewise. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Of course, we will have differing opinions. That is, that is the nature of things, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? But anyway, um, just to go to, uh, to just to summarize everything, and probably to just touch a bit on what you have said, right? Um, basically, what I propose is. Apex Islamica, yeah, a world order based on the Islamic, uh, well, what you would call Sharia. But uh, the Sharia, as understood in the Mus in the Muslim understanding, is is defined more than just about punishment. You see, in the West, when you say the term Sharia, you immediately what comes to mind is oh, it means cutting off their heads or cutting off their hands or stoning. No, Sharia is much more than that. All right. Uh, so for the purpose of this closing statement, I wouldn't get too deep into it. But basically, I'm just saying here that Sharia is much more than just simply cutting off someone's head, right? It's it's not it's not just about uh, punishments. It's about uh, organizing society and putting it uh, putting mankind's uh, man's uh, affairs into order. Hence the principles that I have mentioned. They all fall under the ambit of Sharia, by the way. They are all Sharia. They are all part of Sharia. So, uh, like for example, the example that I gave about the relationship between a man and a woman, the marriage and divorce, Islamic economy, uh, Mudaraba, etc., and uh, Islamic art, those are all Sharia. They are all part of the Sharia. So, Sharia is not just about punishment. It's about. It's also about art. It's also about family. It's about society and and uh, government, etc. Okay. So all these are Sharia. So anyway, going back to. Uh, some things that you mentioned about the family, right? Um, I would say that we have differing understandings of uh, how uh, 
how the relationship is between a man and a wife. Um, uh, you would see it as unequal, but for me, it's balanced. It's uh, it's it's uh, befitting the role of a man as the leader of the of the of the family, and the woman as the leader of the house. So we have. Uh, in Islam, we consign roles to each uh, gender, right? So uh, one gender cannot probably do the other gender's uh, affairs, okay? Like for example, a man. I mean, of course, you were going you are going to say that okay, maybe there are men who has become house husbands, etc. But is that the natural role of a man to be running the affairs of the house? It's not the natural role. I mean, of course, there are exceptions. Yes, I do concede. Like for example, you give an example of police, uh, the police woman, right? I mean, in Malaysia we have a lot of women who became police. Yes, of course, there are women who became police, who become doctors, who become lawyers. We even have women politicians. Okay, okay. We even had, uh, I mean, in certain countries in the Muslim world, there are women who became presidents. Yes, but is that their natural role to become uh, these things? Uh, not necessarily so, right? So um, in Islam, gender is uh, roles are defined by how. Uh, each gender is able to uh, undergo the responsibility. So hence, which is why the Muslim man, the Muslim husband, is given uh, the uh, concept of talaq. And for the woman, is given the concept of uh, what we call fasakh, okay, meaning to go to the third party. So I wouldn't see this as being unfair. It's just the manner of the gender and how the roles are being assigned to them. I mean... In 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 uh, in in the in Europe in in the Western world you have uh, regulations you have laws you have uh, you have uh, order okay you have to follow and 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 uh, be uh, beholden to these laws if you are not beholden to these laws if these governments do not put into place laws if there is absolute freedom in all these societies uh, then there will be anarchy okay the the whole world will be in chaos there's always law and order in every society in the world. There's always law and order. Okay. Of course, you're going to uh, say that, oh, your understanding of it, your freedom is different from that. But um, I, w- I would see that to be part of this uh, overall mankind's need, man's need to have law and order. And Islam offers this. This is what Islam offers for the benefit of mankind. So going back again to art. All right. So now the next uh, the, the next closing statement I'm going to touch on is will be about art. Well, um, Minute, in... Yeah, so anyway, in, in uh, Islam, we offer art as well, okay? Architecture, uh, calligraphy, etc., right? This art does not offend people. But um, in the Western world, um, art doesn't seem to... <laughs> I mean, the, the understanding of art in the Western world seems to be very different from that of the Muslim world. So uh, I honestly, I don't see why someone would think that a caricature of a person wearing a bomb on the head on the on the turban is seen as art because for me that would be offensive to anyone regardless but uh, i guess <laughs> i guess we have to differ on that so with that i end my t- st- uh, my closing statement thank you very much yeah for this discourse and i hope maybe in the future we can have this discourse again you got it thank you very much with that, we're going to jump into the q and I want to remind you, our guests are linked in the description. We really do appreciate the guests as they are the lifeblood of the channel. And so do appreciate if you show them some love in the chat as we really do appreciate them. And this one coming in from 188, I'm telling again, says, let me ask you both. What do you think about the shrinking country that is Palestine? I'll clarify my own position by saying free Palestine. I think it's a complex situation. Uh, I'm not uh, well-versed on it. Uh, I I know that there's uh, uh, stuff going on with Israel, so I I really don't have much to say on it. Uh, If a country shrinks, um, 
then, you know, hopefully it's because the population is shrinking, but uh, um, in a natural way. But, you know, there's been war going on for a very long time in that region. And I think that's very, very sad uh, because uh, war is hardest on the people who live in the region where the war is occurring. And uh, the end result is uh, I don't think it's ever worth uh, the effort uh, in the long run. You got it. Muslim apologist, any thoughts? Well, uh, I can uh, I can answer this in two ways: the short way and the and the long way. So, uh, I'll give both, right? So, the short way is free Palestine, of course. Okay, and the long way would be the long answer would be, um, yes, Palestine unfortunately is being colonized by uh, this uh, this uh, unforeseen forces, right? So, um, as Muslim as a Muslim myself, um, you know, because because they, these forces are occupying the holy uh, Mount uh, Al-Aqsa, okay, or the Haram al-Sharif in in Jerusalem. Of course, I as a Muslim, we feel the pain. We in Malaysia, we feel the pain of our brothers and sisters in Palestine who are undergoing a very brutal and oppressive uh, occupation by uh, a totally un uh, uncivilized regime, as I would put it. Okay, but at the same time, I hope that these things will uh, come to a resolution as foreseen by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I hope that the Muslims in Palestine will persevere through this crisis, inshallah. Yeah, that means God willing, by the way, in Arabic. You got it. And this one coming in from Joe Schwartz says, Randolph, what is your favorite thing about Islam? Muslim apologist, what is your favorite thing about atheism? I think they're talking about like maybe ethically speaking in terms of regarding tonight's debate. Well, I do think that... Um... A favorite thing is uh, hard to say. Um, I've never been asked that before, but uh, so it's it's a new question to me. I'd have to I'd have to get back to them on it. But I, I do think that in principle, what it is uh, is more of a conceptual thing. Things that I, I I do appreciate is that it's a collection of ideas and it competes with other collections of ideas. Uh, these collections of ideas are called religions. And uh, Islam's interesting because uh, it differs from other religions in that it strives to be uh, a more proper kind of legal system and political system where the other religions tend to be more focused on just the religious aspects. So that's kind of interesting. And that I guess that's progress of a sort. Um, unfortunately, it comes from a very bad time in the the region where it is from so there's a lot of uh, and there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of reflection on the abrahamic religions and the the misogynistic misogynistic and violent natures of these religions so that is the problem but uh, i do see it as an attempt at progress and they did bring in uh, much of the ideas that were taught by the Greeks and the ancient Greeks and, and others, uh, other societies. So there was an effort to, to do things better and, and to, uh, to be more up to date and more modern than the previous religions that it is partly based on. You got it. Emmy and Jay, what about you for atheism? Okay. Um, so um, if I were to have to choose one uh, interesting thing about uh, atheism, which I, I appreciate, is probably the uh, the critical aspect of it. I I do uh, appreciate how uh, atheists are critical of uh, everything around them. Yes, but the problem with that is that they go overboard sometimes. They have this uh, 
uh, somehow uh, in uh, innate understanding that everyone else is wrong and only they are right. I mean, probably not for you, Randolph, but many atheists do think this way. So unfortunately, um, because of that, it impedes their their uh, judgment. Okay, their, their their objective judgment. But overall, if they were more objective and they were more uh, open to other ideas, then I would say that um, if they were critical of this their, their, of uh, of this principle, then yes, I would encourage them to be more critical. Yes, and they should be critical about themselves as well. And eventually, I believe that if they they were honest with themselves and they are more critical of themselves as well and other ideologies eventually they will they will come to a conclusion that islam is the best way for mankind i will take that under advisement this one coming in from do appreciate it arn rorvik says so you took back the abe lincoln beard james can you do the chaplain mustache i want to use it this isn't oh. the abraham lincoln beard he did he he didn't have like the mustache part, just to be fair. I mean, nothing against Abraham Lincoln, but anyway, Chris G. Thanks James, for James, to... James, James, you need to get the Abraham Lincoln hat and wear it. I, I think that this person has a good point. And then you can, you can, we can get you actually like him. And then you can say the words, uh, um, uh, everything on the internet's not necessarily the truth or something the, the misquote of abraham lincoln right. it'd be perfect i'll send it to you you can do this it'll be I great might. i mean i i have to be honest Make sure you wear a suit. i like abe lincoln he's got a very uh, distinguished prominent face but anyways aren't let's see this chris g says i think this is yes muslim apologist you advocating for men to have more rights than women lest there be chaos is morally disturbing to me shame on you for not considering women equal well i would disagree with the uh, the, the 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 commenter i'm not saying that men should be given more rights than women i'm saying that men have already rights enshrined for them and that women have already have rights enshrined for them as well so they are balanced um the understanding of equality as understood by the West is flawed. You cannot apply that to the Muslim understanding or the Islamic understanding of equality because in Islam, we don't believe that being equal means that both sides must have uh, the same thing. doesn't necessarily mean so. Okay, So uh, to be equal, it means to be balanced. To be balanced doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the same. So please get your understanding correct. I'm not saying at all that men should have more rights than women. No, not at all. I'm saying that men and women have equal rights, have balanced rights in Islam. But that doesn't mean that they are the same. That's all. You got it. This one coming in from Mr. Saxakit says, appreciate you, love you, James. Appreciate your support. Thanks so much. And all street cred to the speakers. As like I said, we love these guys. We really do appreciate it. They're the lifeblood of the channel. And that goes for all of the speakers that we have on. So, Pibathalu, thanks for your question. Says, thank you for the warm welcome. This is my first super chat to you. Please be gentle. I appreciate that. But they also said, my question, though, to the interlocutors when it comes up is, quote, how are divorce rights sorted out under Islam in relationships where both partners, quote, bat for the same team? I think they're saying, how are divorce rights sorted out under Islam in the relationships where uh, gay relationships or lesbian relationships? I don't know. I don't imagine uh, it's. I imagine they're they're going to have to uh, uh, decide at some point who has uh, the uh, the the male um, uh, role in the marriage and the 
feminine, the masculine and feminine roles in the marriage. I, 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 I have no idea how it would work. I, I'm just guessing in the wild here. I, I'm trying my best to answer that question, but I really don't know. It's not my area. Gotcha. Any thoughts on that, MENJ? Uh, sorry, could you repeat the last question because uh, you were you were breaking up just now. Yeah. They said, "How are divorce rights sorted out under in Islam in relationships where it's two men or two women?" Uh, homosexuality is not recognized in Islam. We don't acknowledge uh, homosexuals, uh, homosexuality marriage. So there's no so such a question does not arise. It's an oxymoron. You got so it. this, I just want to quickly add one thing and then you can respond to me of course uh, i know james would insist on that um this is uh, a further example uh this attitude here to me is uh, bigoted and it is discriminatory against people based on their sexual orientation and so it again uh uh, uh do you uh, it limits uh, a whole demographic of society uh, and that is bad for the world. Again, when you're putting people down and saying that you're not recognized as a valid person, when you're a valid person, um, that's a problem. And so this, this is not the recipe for making a better world in my view. I mean, Jay, any thoughts? Uh, well, um, we will have to disagree on that because our values are not the same. So, um, in in uh, in Islam, a marriage is between a man and a wife. It cannot be between a man and a man, and a woman and a woman. It's, it just doesn't make any sense. That's all. So if they, if someone wants to pursue such a relationship, uh, they are going to have to do it behind the scenes because Islam doesn't recognize it. That's all. Yeah. You so there's a problem. If people have to sneak around and do things in secret, uh, what? this is doing the imposition of islam is forcing them to lie and not live honestly with everybody else with including themselves with who they really are openly and publicly and and in a free world in a free country and where people have freedom protected this is not uh this limitation doesn't apply this is not a valid limitation and then again that's the problem with islam i know you probably need to respond again (laughs) go ahead sorry james then we got to go to the next one but yeah if you want a quick last word i can give it i'll stop i'll stop Uh, all right so uh, yeah, so respectfully, of course, again, I disagree with you because um, it, it doesn't work that way, right? So um, uh, if someone has uh, homosexual urges, as, as, as I would say, um, that is between him and God and how he would manage it is up to him, right? So um, if he pursues the marriage, uh, uh, one behind the scenes, even that is up to him. So that is his choice. But he's going to have to answer to God in the hereafter. That's all. But in Islam, it's forbidden, period. This one coming in from... Empathy Respect says, I love Randolph. I'm a Christian, but can vouch that he is wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful person. I wish more <laughs> atheists and Christians had his level of civility and charity. Thanks, uh, Empathy Respect. I, I really appreciate it. I was on his uh, show one time. He has a YouTube channel and where he interviews people, and he interviewed me. It was quite a while ago, and uh, I, I appreciated the time he gave me. Thank you. That's really cool. I agree with that. By the way, I, just to interject, I agree with the commenter. I find Randolph to be a very nice individual, a very nice gentleman. Oh. I do appreciate being talking to you in this discourse. Oh, thank you. I, I've enjoyed this conversation, Mary, very much with you as well. Thank you. Absolutely. And this one from a rival uh, on the other side of the fence, apostate prophet. He says, in the Muslim huh. apologist ideal world, if Islam is fully implemented, what should be done to those who leave Islam? Um, considering that this is a person who blocked me from Twitter, 
for calling him a fuckface, I'm surprised that he's going to even ask this question to me. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, uh, what do you think a Muslim would do to a, to a, to a murtad? I don't even have to answer this question. I will answer um, because I think it's an important question. Um, uh, James, I, it's there are countries where people are being executed for being apostates, for leaving Islam. And uh, this is uh, uh, justified under Quran 489 or verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 89, or other chapters too, apparently. Um, so I'm, I'm opposed to that because people should have the freedom to leave any religion. And uh, that, that's a freedom that's protected. Uh, freedom of association, freedom of opinion, freedom of religion. Um, it, these are important freedoms for people. Um, I think that a person should be uh, free to leave a religion and should not be coerced into leaving it and should not, people should not be trying to convince them to leave. Uh, and by the same token, uh, it should apply in the other direction as well, where people are not coerced or forced into joining a religion. So, uh, and I think Pew Research did a study, Sam Harris was talking about it years ago. Uh, they, they surveyed Muslims from around the world. It was statistically significant, and they found approximately 65% of the Muslims they, they asked uh, were in favor of death for apostasy. And so um, that that is a problem uh, that needs to be corrected, I think, because it's it shows that there's an attitude that is opposed to people having freedom. So um, thanks, James, for giving me a chance to to talk about that. And uh, the Muslim apologist, I, I know you probably would like to respond to me. Yes. So, um, yeah, the issue on the issue of apostasy, I'm trying to be serious here now. So, um, yeah, I have I have books on it, actually, uh, regarding apostasy. There is a great debate in the Muslim world regarding how apostasy should be regulated. The the, the the, uh, of course, the uh, general consensus is man, uh, as the prophet said, man badala di nahu This is a hadith in uh, in Sahih al Bukhari. Okay, so basically, it means whoever uh, leaves his religion uh, kills him. But uh, there is an interpretation. There's a debate regarding what does this hadith actually mean, and on what in what context does this hadith needs to apply? Does it mean you have to kill all apostates? Does it mean you anyone who just leaves the religion you just kill him? No, it doesn't necessarily mean so. So. There are specific contexts and uh, uh, incidences regarding how this should be applied. There's one scholarly uh, consensus which says that uh, this only happens to those to those uh, apostates who leave Islam, but they don't leave it quietly. If they leave it quietly and uh, they just live their lives in peace, you don't harm them. But if they leave Islam and they start talking bad about Islam, they criticize Islam, they make videos insulting Islam, they tear the Quran live uh, in, in video, then yes, the law applies to such people. This, this is basically the understanding of the jurists. So uh, there are many uh, differences of opinion, but this is the uh, basically the main consensus. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question as well. Good day to you, sir, says to Muslim apologist. Very simply, Muslims are fleeing to disbeliever countries by the millions. So if Islam is what is best for the world, why then isn't the world fleeing towards Islamic countries? <laughs> I get this question all the time, you know. But the thing is, I mean, Malaysia, Malaysia is a is a is a democratic country. It's a Muslim majority country. I'm not fleeing to the West. Okay, uh, there's something I need to share with you viewers as well. Uh, I was born in the United States. Okay, I was born. I'm actually technically I am an American. I have an American expired American passport somewhere actually. But I'm a Malaysian, and I'm I'm not fleeing to the United States, the land of my birth. No, I'm still in Malaysia. So you can. 
judge you can you can say that muslims are fleeing in droves from the muslim world to uh, to the uh, west it's not necessarily so and muslims do that for a variety of reasons just the same way as people from the west come to the east as well i mean we do have people from the west here in in, in malaysia and in many other regions in the muslim world so it goes both ways so it's not because of islam it's not because of the religion it's probably because of economic reasons family reasons there are so many reasons why someone would leave a muslim country to go to a non-muslim country for example for economic reasons like for example the job that i do okay i'm in digital marketing i would probably get a better pay if i were to move to the us or canada for example in fact um uh, uh this would actually be the most reasonable thing for me to do if i want to pursue my career in digital marketing so uh, let's say if i want to do that then yes i would move to the west but why would i want to i mean why would that be a reason to say that islam is the cause no it's not islam is not the reason so it's so there are many very t- variety of reasons so to 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 simplify it to mean that muslims are leaving the the muslim world because they because of islam i think that is an unfair and biased uh, judgment yeah this one coming in from aaron johnson says when muslim jesus comes back i think they're saying like the muslim interpretation of jesus coming back although i don't think islam has a second coming of jesus says we do, uh, we do. Oh, okay. we do. I didn't know that. They say, they say people will have to choose to convert or die. The source is the Sanan Abbey Dawad 4324. Sanan Abbey Dawad. Thank you. And they said, and Reliance of the Traveler, page 602 to 603. Is that <laughs> what's best for people? Uh, I think you're going to have to quote the reference uh, properly because you just quoted the num- the name of the book and the page number. That how how is that uh, relevant? I mean, anyway, uh, just to touch on the reliance of the traveler. Reliance of the traveler is actually not it's not a well known book in in this part of the world. So we don't really rely on on the, whatever the reliance of the traveler. So the, the, just to clarify, the reliance of a traveler is a fake book written by an Egyptian author in the 13th century. And um, it's basically a collection of hadiths, uh, and then there are some interpretations made by these Egyptian juries. But uh, in this part of the Muslim world, we don't use uh, the reliance of the traveler. We have other books and sources of fiqh. So, um, so not necessarily we agree with what the reliance of the traveler say or their interpretation of a certain fiqh rule. Yeah. You got it. And this one coming in from, do appreciate it. Question from Arabian Princess says, to Muslim apologists. Under the Sharia law, are Christians and atheists equal to Muslims? Good question. Um, well, uh, I, I would say I would say that it depends on what you mean by equal. If you mean the same role, no, of course not. It's the same thing between as a man and a woman, right? Uh, in Islam, so uh, in Islam, we do acknowledge that under 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 the Sharia law, under under Islamic rule. Yeah, non-Muslim citizens are given their rights. They have their, in fact, um, as practiced in uh, in the traditional Islamic Muslim society before the concept of nation states came about, um, non-Muslims were actually given authority to govern their own affairs. They have their own communal laws, laws and communal rules. So, as for example, let's say if there's a Christian community living in the Muslim world in back in those days during the Khilafah. They are actually given their own court system. They are given their own laws to govern their own community. So this is how uh, Islam had worked in the past. But nowadays, since we are all living in a nation-state concept, so uh, I guess the law varies from one country to another. So I can't speak for any other country. But in Malaysia, um, 
we treat the uh, non-Muslims just the same as how we would treat a Muslim anyway. We all are equal under the law. Yeah, I don't see why is that a problem. Yeah. You got it. This one from Ryan Morris says, let me know if I pronounced it right. Ryan said, since you said you were happy, I was here in chat. I felt special. Thanks for your support. Seriously, Ryan, that means a lot. And we really are glad to have you here. And I got to tell you, folks, I want to just reinforce. Thanks, Ryan. That is special support. (laughs) Absolutely. And I got to tell you, folks, when we say hello in chat, we really are glad to have you here. That that is me typing. So as I'm reading chat and looking for questions, I always like to say hello to people. And so uh, if I missed you, don't it's it's nothing personal. It's just that sometimes I'm I'm moving so fast. But I do want to say we hope you feel welcome no matter what your position is, whether you be Muslim, atheist, regardless of your race or sex or whatever, everything. We really do hope you feel welcome no matter who you are. We want to be as fair as possible as a debate channel. We want everybody to feel like they've you know, gotten a fair shot or gotten a fair warm welcome. And so thanks, Ryan, for your support. And then Arabian Princess strikes again. She says, in the Quran, it says you can beat women even if they didn't do anything. So when is it okay to beat women? And what kind of a god would give a command like this, Muslim apologist? Only when they ask nicely. That's that's uh, that, that's uh, humor from the uh, BDSM community, apparently. <laughs> well, I think I think that's a total misunderstanding of uh, Surah An Nisa verse uh, verse thirty eight or forty eight. I don't recall. Okay, I think it's verse forty eight, right? So, um, so that's a total misrepresentation of that verse, right? So um, basically, the verse says that um, there, there are steps taken in order to uh, to admonish your wife because of her disobedience, okay, or what we call new shoes, okay, in Arabic. So um, because the, you see, the, it goes back again to the uh, relationship between a man and a wife in a marriage. So the man, as I have said many times, the man is the leader of the house, and the woman is the leader. Uh, sorry, the man is the leader of the family. Yeah, the, the woman is the leader of the house. But the man is the leader of the family. He needs to uh, be in. Uh, he has to. He has to basically be in the lead to control the uh, affairs. Right? Doesn't mean that you need to be oppressive towards the woman, of course. But if the woman uh, does not acknowledge, uh, uh, does not give the husband her the due respect that he deserves, like for example, she's abusive to her husband. She uh, she admonishes him when there's not necessary to be admonished. That's, see, uh, abuse, uh, you know, uh, abuse can go, go both ways, right? So even the wife can be abusive to the husband. Then, yes, then there are these steps to be taken. So one of them is uh, uh, daroba your wife, you know, to beat your wife. Uh, that's how the Quran mentions it. But beating here doesn't mean you go and take a cane and whack the woman out of her black and blue until she dies. No, that's not what daroba means. So how do we under- interpret this hadith? Uh, sorry, this, this Quranic verse, we go to the hadiths of the Prophet where the Prophet explains it. So basically what you do, what beating here means taking the stick, the miswak. Okay, it's, it's a very, I don't have the miswak here with me, but it's basically a small tiny stick and you just beat her with that. And it's very, it's, uh, it's not even painful. It's, you're, not, you're not supposed to hurt her you're not supposed to make her black and blue. That that is the whole point. The 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 point of this is to to uh, make her feel shameful or remorseful of her actions. And this is only taken as the very 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 last step. There are three steps to be taken. This is like the third or fourth step, right? So no, you don't go and go around beating your wife just because the wife is disobedient to you. No, there's a, several steps to be taken. And even if it comes to that, uh, you just beat her with a miswak, <laughs> and it's a very small stick. It doesn't even hurt anyone. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Chris G says, so you sign a non-disclosure as a Muslim? If I remember right, this came up during the discussion of 
I think, when the question came up on why it is that there are allegedly millions of Muslims moving out of Muslim countries and wanting to go to non-Muslim countries rather than vice versa. Does either of you guys remember contextually what this might refer to when Chris says, so you sign a non-disclosure as a Muslim? I don't know what that's no. about. I don't even understand what it means. No. I'm Can like, you read the question one more time, James? Yeah. So they yeah. said, so you sign a non-disclosure as a Muslim and... I just can't remember if, it, if I... Oh, I think I know. I, I, I'm going to guess what they might be referring to. I've heard, uh, I've seen videos of people who've gone into the mosques and they're greeted by people, everything's fine, and it, it comes across, it's presented very well. Certain mosques. Uh, not. I'm not saying all of them are like this. And then after a while, and these are mosques that are particular ones that are known for producing extremists. And then after a while... Um, of after a number of months pass and then they get into uh a more uh these little kind of special interest groups within the the whole mosque community where they start learning more extreme things and uh it, it starts to get really nasty and so uh, there was some kind of uh expectation that they're not going to share this with the public so i i guess it might be a reference subtle reference to takia and stuff like that i'm not sure so yeah. Have you heard of this stuff, the Muslim apologist? Honestly, no, never heard this in, in my life. This is news to me. This is, I'm, I'm totally stumped. I never heard of this before. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I, I can't answer that question. Then <laughs> I, think I recall the video was in uh, Australia somewhere, but they, they said there were some others in other parts of the world where this happened. These yeah, are I, I, ones that are producing honestly, extremists. I wouldn't know about that. There's a problem yeah, I mean, with leadership at those mosques, obviously. Well, um, if it involves extremists, then I'm sorry they're not part of Islam. Islam doesn't teach this. That's all I could say. Yeah. Sunflower said, I think they're attempting to say that even if you leave Islam, you never disclose that you left Islam. So you're kind of sworn to silence regardless. Uh, no, it's not that. It's just that if you leave Islam, let's say if you are, you want to apostatize to Islam from Islam, and you want to, you, know, you do it peacefully. It, 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 the, the the word, the key context here is peacefully, yeah? not being violent, not criticized, not uh, being rude or being uh, in, uh, insulting or demeaning towards your former religion. You just live your life. Okay, you can leave Islam all you want, and you can just live your life. Yeah, and um, that's that's the point. It's not a non-disclosure agreement. There's no non-disclosure agreement. For you to when you want to leave Islam, you just leave Islam. If you want to leave, go ahead. You you will be answerable to God in the year after. But um, you're not. You're part of the thirty-five percent. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about that, but uh, basically, um, yeah. If you want to leave Islam, go ahead. Go ahead. There's not no one. No one on this earth is going to stop you. But you're not supposed to go around bad mouthing your former religion, and that is some and be insult. Not only bad mouthing, but being insulting and rude. And you know, there are so many apostate channels that I see on YouTube which does this. And uh, I'm afraid the uh, the hard law would apply onto this type of people. But I'm pretty sure there are many out there who have left Islam, but they are living their life peacefully, and nobody's going to give a shit about them. Yeah, I had to clarify something here. So. Uh, people should not if they've left a religion they're no longer part of conforming to it so if they want to talk about their experiences and they have some views on it that it's really bad and they're free to express that um in here in canada at least anyway and many other countries too uh, i'm sure in the united states it's not a problem and uh, so the to say that they're going to be in trouble for hate speech that's only if it's being applied to people. If it's being applied to a collection of ideas, uh, like a religion, then that's 
that's focusing your dis, disdain for that on the ideas. People will criticize atheism. I don't have a problem with that. And I'm going to respond to it when they do, um, if I have the opportunity to correct things. Um, now, somebody is going to go after individual atheists and say, these people are bad, then that's a personal attack rather than attack on an idea or a concept. You got it. And this one coming in from, do appreciate your question as well. Aaron Johnson says, when Jesus is back or returns, will people have to convert or die? Muslim apologists. Um, yeah, according to the hadith, the, um, there will be Muslims, there will be people who would follow Jesus and there will be people who will be against Jesus. So those who are who are against who are against Jesus would be uh, with the Dajjal, with the uh, or what the Christians would call the Antichrist. Yes, we have that concept too in Islam. So basically, the Muslims will side with Jesus. Uh, those who uh, who were not Muslims before, they will side with Jesus. There will be some who will be siding with Jesus, and there will be some who will be against Jesus. And those who do not go with Jesus will be against, will be with the Antichrist, and these two forces will clash eventually. That's, that's the uh, Islamic eschatology of things. Yeah. And just to my previous comment, James, I want to add a word of the day for you. Um, misotheism, M-I-S-O-T-H-E-I-S-M. It means a hatred for theism, for and it can be against a particular type or whatever. So that's uh, probably the term that I should have mentioned <laughs> in my previous statement there. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Arabian Princess says, to... M-E-N-J, Muslim apologist, you said we go to the Hadith in one of the Hadiths, which is Sahih. Your prophet said, whoever changes his religion, kill him. Do you agree with us? You want the short answer or the long answer? The, the short answer is yes, of course I agree with it. <laughs> but the long answer is something which I've already explained earlier. I've already touched on this, right? So, yeah. Gotcha. And want to say thank you very much for that question, Arabian Princess, as well as this one coming in from Chris G. He had said, Muslim apologist, could you call your wife over into the room so I can see you look at her in the eyes and tell her that you are the leader of the house and that she isn't because that would be chaos. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't do that because right now she's in uh, Pontian. That's uh, that's a that's a town in in Malaysia, about two hundred plus kilometers away from me, with my son. So she's caring for my mother-in-law, who whose leg was just recently amputated because of diabetes. So she had to be there. So she's staying there at the moment, right? So I'm staying with my uh, with my parents here. So my wife is is in Pontian. Yeah. Gotcha. I hope everything's okay. And yeah, let's... thank you. Yeah, of course. And the let's see. Want to remind you, we the, uh, we just had one last question that Aaron snuck in. Our guests are linked in the description. Highly encourage you folks. You can always check out their links, and that includes if you're listening via the podcast, you can check them out there too. But Aaron Johnson with the last question says, "Jesus will abolish the jizya, meaning a source." I'm not exactly. The jizya I understand is being a tax on. Uh, people who are uh, of particular religions that are not Islam. Yeah, the jizya is a is a thief, is basically like income tax upon the non-Muslims. Okay, the Muslims we pay zakat. Okay, we have we have a similar concept for the Muslims. We 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 pay almost the same rate. As, in fact, the jizya is actually lower than that of the of the zakat. Zakat is two point five percent. Jizya is around one to one one to one point five percent. Of, of your income so uh, yeah so this is basically what jizya means 
that's not at all consistent with my understanding, but okay. You got it. And want to say, folks, as we had mentioned, our guests are linked in the description and have to also say, hey, if you know somebody who would enjoy this debate, feel free. You can click that share button below and you can help get the word out on this debate. If you're especially if you're like, I really thought my side won that one is like you could share this with a friend and you'll look neutral because they'll say, hey, it's like. It's true. Both sides got equal time. You can share it with them. And if you thought your side was more persuasive, then you'll be kind of persuading them in that way. I don't know what you guys think, but I uh, want to say thanks to our guests. It's been a true pleasure. Randolph and MENJ, it's been a true pleasure to have you guys. James, thank you very much for supporting yet another free exchange of ideas. Uh, this means a lot to me to be on your program. And uh, thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Uh, uh, Muslim pro apologist, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I enjoy my time here. Thank you very much, James. And to you, sir, Randolph. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. My pleasure. And want to say... Folks, I'll be back in just a moment. I am going to share about upcoming debates, so stick around for that post credit scene. And we'll be right back, but thanks to our guests one last time, and I'll be back in just a moment. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.